Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. Welcome to the show, Dvorah Schwartz. Today we have with us a vocal teacher, performer, entertainer. You might have seen some of her work, her music, her performances. I just looked you up. You have over 10,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. Welcome to the show, Dvorah. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to be here. Let's just get started with your upbringing and your background. I know we often have Bali Chuva on the podcast, so it's fun to have someone from from birth uh, who's interested in the arts, who is successfully doing this as a career form. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you the mic. Yeah, that's actually a question. I get a lot of performers. So, you know, what's your background? What? You're not a Bali Chuva? Like, you know, how could you be so professional and, and not have studied your, you know, your entire life? That's usually the question. So it happens to be like, I wasn't even into singing until I was about 19 or 20. I always danced and I was an artist and I was always into the arts. My mother really gave us lessons every year in, in, in different things. She really believed in like cultivating that talent. And it's very funny because she had this motto where like, you don't go on stage unless you really, really practiced. And in, in, and whenever I was head of dance or different things like that, I always had that mindset of like, you don't just go on stage just because. You have to really have a practiced product to go on. So I've, I've choreographed dances, I would say, for many, many years. That was more of my background. I grew up in Brooklyn and I went to Bisako Bar Park for elementary school. And then we moved to Muncie for high school where I went to Breuer's. And I would say when I was in high school, I started really training in dance. There was a ballast chuba there. Her name is Lisa Strasberg and she had Studio 613 where I went to ballet and modern dance and things like that. Uh, so that's where I got my dance training. But I actually always wanted to be a doctor. So I took pre-med in Turo. And after graduating with a bachelor's in science, I actually you know, I was, I was married at that point and I had just had a very hard C-section with my first kid. And I was like, okay, we are rerouting. This is not going to work out to do medicine. And I got my MBA and throughout this entire journey, what I realized is as much as I was academic, I was not letting go of the arts while I was in school, while I was working, I was always heading a play, teaching dance. I opened up a few art schools, one in Muncie, one in Lakewood, and then opened like two franchises and then another one in Lakewood. And it was just something I couldn't give up. So after trying to different marketing jobs and desk jobs and teaching jobs, teaching math and algebra and biology, I I just decided to focus fully on the arts because I realized that was that was something that I just couldn't give up. And that was something that I really, really enjoyed. And I identify as a teacher. So, you know, Baruch Hashem, I was able to channel my education, which is my business into 
making a very successful voice practice and into being a successful singer with an album and Baruch Hashem with a lot of bookings. So that's my story in a nutshell. Wow. We'll have to break this down a little bit. Okay, so you get your degree from Turo. You're already married. You decide that you want to start a vocal training school. No, so when I was 19, I worked for Malki Ginniger. So she hired me to be her dance director for her big Brooklyn school. And then my sister mentioned to her, oh, by the way, Devorah also sings. So my first voice class was the free class she let me join. I was 19. And the oldest class was 13-year-old girls. I joined that class for free, and that's how I got my first voice lessons. That was my, yeah, my first int- introduction to, you know, any kind of training. When about a year later, Malki said, you know, why don't you go and open up a Rutzon, Malki Gingers Rutzon in Muncie. So throughout my college, I was single then, and I opened up a franchise of her of her school. So we started with 90 students the first year, and then we built up to like 150 after three years. So, and I was teaching her voice method and putting on the plays and directing everything and hiring and different things like that. And then when I got married and I moved to Lakewood, I was still at that point finishing up my bachelor's. And then I opened up a new franchise of Rutzone in Lakewood and built that up for the next three years to 150 students. And then by the time those three years are up, I had already finished my master's in business. So that was my trajectory. Cool. That's fascinating. So was all your vocal training done through the Malki Ginniger voice training program? So I actually trained under a class by her for one year and then went on to teach her method for the next six years. After that, I went to to actually study, you know, look up coaches in my neighborhood, uh, you know, professional teachers. And I came across Steven Schnurman. And what I suggest to anyone when they're looking for a teacher is look at their students and see if you like the way they sing. And that's what I did. I was just in awe of the way his students sang from girls to guys, all different ages. I wasn't even thinking about becoming a singer. I was just sort of came into this vocal training without really having studied it myself. So I started studying with him. It's been already, it's almost five years already. And he really believed in me. He's like, you know, you really have a classical voice and you could turn into a star. I was like, yeah, right. You know, (laughs) I was like, so not into it. And then Eventually, I re- it really became a thing where I was just able to sing, you know, every type of song, songs that used to be so difficult for me. I was just able to sing easily. And I mean, I was sort of known as a voice teacher through the Rutzone programs, but I started developing a private practice and my students started really growing with this new voice method. And I started training professional singers like different chazanim or boys that were part of choirs. And I've actually trained quite a few women who have recording studios in Lakewood. So it was just like the proof was in the pudding. It was just an amazing method. And it just sort of spoke for itself. And it's not my voice method at all. So that's really incredible how you're able to take your art and turn it into business. I find that's an extremely common challenge that artists have. Tell us a little bit how you transitioned from voice teacher, a voice coach, Rutzone 
director or franchisee to a performer, a recording artist, and influencer? I don't know if I ever really shared this before, but it was sort of a turning point. I had signed a three-year agreement to open up this rut zone in Lakewood. And when the three years were up, me and Monkey had, you know, mutually decided to part ways. And I was at this crossroads where I wasn't happy with desk jobs. And I didn't have this rut zone anymore. And I was like, what do I want to do with my life? And I, you know, sometimes when you don't have anything, that's when you put all your efforts into something. Like if you try to build up a side business while you're working full time, full time, like good luck. It really takes a little bit or a lot of desperation to really get you going is what I found. So it was that turning point where I decided, okay, I'm taking my voice lesson seriously. I decided to open up my own brand, my own school. I opened up a school divorce, School of Arts in Lakewood, which Baruch Hashem has 180 students, which I own myself and I have a big staff working for me. So it was when I decided to launch that. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to make my own singing career. And I started videoing my lessons. That's how it started. I started using my Instagram to video my lessons. Obviously, you know, students that let me. And I didn't know if people would find it interesting. I really didn't. But as I storied in Instagram, I wrote different things like watch how her, watch how she's trying to push her stomach out. You know, watch how her tongue is going backwards and how it's changing her voice. And it's just, people just found it interesting. It's not the typical cooking fashion that you find on Instagram. And I was very consistent about it. I decided to start making content, different videos. And that's just how it started. Okay, so let's just move back a little bit. Could you give a little bit more background on your mutual separation from Malky Ginniger? Was it something that you felt like you were putting in all this work and then you still had to give her a cut so it wasn't working for you? How how did this, how did you outgrow that? I'm a perfectionist. Not to let, not like in a bad way, you know, where I'm too hard on myself. Just in, like I was telling you in the beginning, that when I put something on stage, I expect it to be a certain level. So it started becoming where I wasn't happy with the ad, you know, let's say it started from there. So, so Malky was very, very generous. And she said, you know, why don't you reach out to the graphic artist and design your own ad? So I designed that. And then I was like, you know, I'm really not happy with the script. She's like, okay, you could get your own script writer. So great. I got the, my own script writer. Now Malky has about eight branches, I think by now. So it ended up being that the ad I created, the script I created, then I created the costumes and then I created all the dance concepts and I was giving it to her and she was using it in all her branches. And I'm like, something is wrong with the picture. I'm doing so much already. It's almost like I have my own program, but that wasn't the clincher. The clincher was when I moved away from her voice technique, when I found a voice technique that worked better for me, that was when I was like, you know what? The three years are over. There's just a lot of things over here. As much as I love her and I loved working with her and we had, you know, so many years together, that's sort of like the way of the world. You work for somebody, you grow underneath them, and then eventually it becomes time to go on your own. Very hard, by the way. It's a very, very hard step to take. I remember thinking like I, there was this mountain in front of me and if I could just get over onto the other side. Yeah, of course, it must have been extremely difficult because you had a whole system, you had a business, and then you were going to completely transition out of that. You mentioned 
how you train Chazanim and you have male students, which is fascinating because one thing is if they were non-Jews, but you're talking about Jewish, well, boys, I, I guess, make sense, but Chazanim, okay, I'll let you elaborate on that. But how does that work and how does that work in Lakewood? It works when they're very professional. Please don't come and you want voice lessons because you want to schmooze. Like that has happened a couple of times. And then I was like, okay, I'm setting down this rule where I don't accept any men from Instagram unless I have a personal reference. And it happens to be even sometimes when I had personal references, after the first lesson, I just got this vibe that they were just here to like chit chat and they just thought it was cool to come to see me. And I was like, goodbye, this is not working out. I have a couple of chazanim that are very professional. The gender doesn't interfere at all. So it works. And with boys too, totally. And how has your reputation been affected? One thing is clearly your husband's into this because (laughs) I can't imagine it not working out like that. Completely. He supports me 100%. I do the lessons in my house. Uh, It happens to be he's home a lot. He's completely 100% endorses me and is is okay with this. To me, this is similar to a medical practice. I work with a lot of people that are about to get voice surgery or just got voice surgery um, and they need sort of like a voice therapist. I usually do not like getting into halachic discussions over public forums. It's a complete, from like a medical standpoint, there's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. Right. No, I'm not saying anything is wrong with this. I just think it's fascinating that you have religious male students in Lakewood. I just know Lakewood is a whole different ball game than a lot of other cities, especially out of town. Lakewood is has really evolved, you know, over the past 15 years, I would say. It's not it's not really a yeshiva town anymore. There's definitely a big yeshiva in the middle of Lakewood, but there's all different types in Lakewood. It's a massive community. That's true. However, reputation and your status in the community is very much affected by people's ideas and expectations and opinions. So, for example, even if the community has evolved, if you are nervous about your kids getting into a certain school, I I just know, and I I never lived in Lakewood. People told me, oh, maybe don't wear makeup, so much makeup on your shoots, or why you're going out so glamorous, you're not going to attract. So in my head, I'm like, okay, if those are the girls I won't attract, then great. This is the type of singer I'd like to be, and I don't want to just... Well, I have a lot to say on that. In terms of what I do in my own voice practice is not really up for public comment. You know what I mean? I do what I do. I'm living my own life and this is my business. People could comment with with, with me knowing, without me knowing it. I don't pay much attention to it. But what I do take very seriously and what I do take people's comments into consideration is the look that I have when I perform live and the image that I'm trying to give off in my music videos. And something that I've actually argued about with a bunch of other from singers is that I have no problem wearing the part if that's what's going to make me get the gig. Meaning, why should I wear the long shaitel that I'm comfortable wearing in front of a Hasidish crowd if they're going to look at the shaitel and they're going to say, I can't even hear her voice. I'm so busy looking at the, you know, it's not even fear for me to say that because it's not fear 
it's not necessarily true, but some people care so much about hair length that they, they wouldn't want to hire me out of fear that their kid is, meaning they want to hire someone that's going to be a role model for them. And there shouldn't be anything that's interfering with my voice. So for that, for that reason, I have full respect for making sure my shaitel is shorter and making sure my skirts are longer and that I'm always wearing tights and that my clothes are loose enough because who am I performing for? It sounds very thought out and business minded. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a manager, by the way? I have a friend who does my bookings for me. I call her my manager and agent. Her name is Perry Weinberger. She takes care of all of my bookings for me. She's amazing. Anyone who calls her and inquires about an event and wants to know pricing and availability and wants to know more about me or anything like that, she speaks to them. She takes care of everything and she negotiates the highest price that she could for me. But in terms of, you know, making my business decisions about how I look, um, that's something that I do. And it happens to me, my husband has very, very good ideas about, first of all, he dresses me. He, he, he's totally the visionary behind how I need to look on stage. Uh, my song choices for concerts, for my album, he's, he's very supportive and has really good opinions. I, I love to hear the input you're getting there. Could you talk about how you get your gigs? So is that your manager's responsibility or do you well, call call? It's mostly through Instagram. No, cold calls never work. I would say cold calls is you're basically announcing to someone, hi, I exist. And you're putting like a little seed into their head of, you know, maybe next time you'll hire me. But that's not usually what gets you a gig at all. It's usually word of mouth. Someone needs to recommend you or seeing you somewhere. And really, it's it's because of it started out because of Instagram. And then it's like word of mouth. You know, if I go to a day camp, and then someone else is saying, oh, my gosh, I need to hire someone for a day camp. And then they're like, oh, well, we just had Devorah Schwartz. Do you want her? As much as we definitely do cold calling and we call organizations and we call camps, it's really like a very hard way to get gigs. It doesn't usually happen. Okay, so you're building the brand and then your gigs come to you yes. or they refer each other to yeah. you. In my experience, camps, schools and organizations generally do not have big budgets. Mm-hmm. And maybe in your experience, it's different. Tell me a little bit more about the money end of it. Sounds like you're able to bring in a nice income from your vocal teaching. Yeah, uh, that's, my main, that's my main bread and butter is that I have, you know, study voice lessons every day during the daytime and in the evening. Yes. Yeah. Is the performance, the passion art of it, is it part of building the brand? Or is it something you'd like for it to be more and tell me how you book your gigs, meaning if they're not paying so much, are you going to do it anyway? Have you performed for free? And how does that work for you? Okay, those are all great questions. So first of all, I love I love that part of my business. I love giving concerts. I love singing and connecting to people and entertaining people. As much as I always think I give, 
so many events, I, I like receive so much more from, you know, different things that have, it's just so inspiring for me. That's where my heart is performing live. Because you're not a songwriter, you sing mostly other people's songs. And you tell stories, you dance exactly. with the crowd. What does it look like? Okay, so first of all, I do have my own album that just came out, which I bought songs from songwriters. So I do have, you know, songs that are considered my songs, just just sure. like many many artists buy songs from other artists and it's their song and besides for singing some of my own songs i would say most of the lineup is current jewish hits from the men singers shweki uri davidi mordechai shapiro yoni z those are are some of the the hits that everybody wants to hear and everybody's been singing in camps and all over and you sing song after song or do you tell inspiring stories most of the events that I'm hired for, I'm hired for the concert part. So if they want an inspiring story, they hired a speaker to speak before me. I'm more of entertaining them, giving them a, a great time, getting them off their feet. If I see that they're into it, I'll teach them a dance. Because remember, I have a big dance background. Especially in day camps, I'm in total dance mode. They do not want to sit on their chair and watch me sing. As soon as they see, and I come very sparkly, as soon as they see me with my sparkly dress, my sparkly shoes, my sparkly mic, they are running on that stage. All they want to do is sing on that mic with me, and I'm teaching them dances, and it's just totally rah-rah. For women, you know, more of the fancier events, they do want to hear a slow, beautiful song. They do want to hear a story of why this song connects to me and an experience that I had in between. It it's really depends on the crowd. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And now let's transition to the money end of it, how it works. Do okay. you set a number? Do they have a budget? And what's your policy of negotiation or working for less than you would want to? Or do they pay you exactly what you want to get paid? So, so right now, Baruch Hashem, I'm at a point where I have a certain fee that I, I won't go anywhere for less than a certain fee. It's not worth it for me at this point because it's it's an opportunity cost. It takes me away from my voice lessons. It's not right for me to cancel all my students unless it's uh, something that's worth it. And also, I don't like to cancel all my students too often. I'm not going places for free usually. I'll take you a, a back a little bit because you did ask me if I at one time worked for free. I'll take you back to about three years ago when I gave a concert for Kmart. It's like the luxury Jewish tours. I was trying to get my foot in the door of giving concerts. This was three years ago where I had like no bookings at all, very little. So what I did was, this is three years ago when I decided I want to become a singer and this is what I'm branding myself as. So I went over to my sister's school, my sister's high school, to the principal, and I said, hi, do you want a Masa Shabbos concert for free? They're like, yes. So I said, great. They knew me. So I came with my family. They'll forever call the house we stayed at the bug house. They will not let me live it down. And I actually hired a professional video crew. So not only did I not get paid, I spent money to video the event. Then I used that promo video and I sent it to every camp that I knew, every event that I knew, every everything that I knew, because like I really did a great job there and it was it was a great concert. And the, the it was like literally an amazing concert. So I I got hired in this KMR. But let me tell you how I got hired. I got hired in the sense that they said they would do me a favor and pay for the sound and the venue. 
but they weren't paying me. Not only that, I had to pay for my plane ticket and I had to pay for the hotel. Why did I do that? Because it's an investment. How am I gonna get out there if I don't actually perform? So I started out paying to do events and why did I do that? Because I spoke to the then owner of Blue Melody Group and he was telling me, he said, do you know that at any given moment, I'm, it must be an exaggeration, but this is what he said. I have around 80 men singers that would sing at a wedding for free with my group. And I just don't let them because I don't know if they're good or not. He said, I don't want to say big names, but there are big names is they were, there was one point where they were begging just to give them a chance and sing somewhere for free. And that's how I grew because I did that. And then last summer, I was taking gigs for $500 and I was giving a cut to my agent. $500 is basically working for free if I have to, and I slept sound with me. My sound equipment is expensive. So if I have to travel to the country three hours each way, set up sound and go back and give a cut to my agent, $500 for a whole day was literally almost like working for free. So Baruch Hashem, this year I'm getting paid very nicely and I'm just so grateful. But it was a long road and I worked for it. <laughs> really sounds like you did and you figured out your niche. Now, what I'm so curious about is I know with uh, mainstream music in the non-Jewish world, if anyone performs other people's music, there are royalties involved with singing or using other people's music for earning a living for performance for the benefit of the public. Like stores play music in their stores. There are distribution companies. There are these massive companies that are collecting cents on the dollar for these artists and publishing companies. Does that exist in the Jewish world? And if not, how do you feel about that? So as far as I know, it, it, it does not exist in the Jewish world. Not only that, but um, I definitely helped in making the Machabracha song famous. And I therefore wanted to put it on my album, even though it's not my song. It's Shmuley Unger's song, it was produced by Naftali Schnitzler. And I reached out to them. I asked them permission if I could put it on my album. And they said, yeah, no problem. Just write who was the singer who, who composed the song. And then when I was uploading it, you know, onto TuneCore, I, I was like trying to, I, I bought a licensing agreement so that I could give royalties of the song to the original artist. And I wasn't even able to, like it didn't, it doesn't even work with the Jewish albums. So it was really funny. That's so interesting. Well, just talking to you, which is amazing. I have so many ideas that I'd love to discuss with you. And I have somewhere I did try to do this path and it hasn't worked. I There are a number of reasons I could just say wh why this is working for you so well. And it did not work for me. Number one, I only sing original songs. I did not want to sing other people's music. And that's your selling point. Everyone knows the music you're singing hits. Also, it sounds like you have this camp spirit almost that I totally was born without <laughs> the dancing which makes it performing much harder for me because I, I'm much more of a solo artist or I guess it's much there's less interactive there's all different types of artists and all different flavors everyone likes different everyone's different and everyone appreciates something different so my recipe is not the only recipe that people like no, but what you, your recipe and part of it, why it worked so well is because first of all, you're great at it, but second of all, you love it and, and it shows. So right. it, for many, 
I, I just know people have told me, you know, sing the hits or try this or be a little more interactive. I, I wasn't comfortable doing that. That wasn't my form of art. And it took so much energy. So it wasn't worth it for me. But you know what? I relate to that. I relate to that because I was so shy in the beginning. I was so nervous. My first show, I memorized Good evening and welcome to my concert. I literally memorized like a script, all the words I would say in between. And I, and I was like, why am I doing this to myself? The amount of energy, I was like out of commission for a week, like pre-concert, during the concert, post-concert. And you know what? It's just grit, pushing and pushing and being brave and being courageous. Many concerts... I, I still feel that as much as it, videos make it look easy and it happens to be some concerts are really fun. A lot of them, I just have to disregard like certain people that are like just staring at me or they look judgmental or like one time I did a concert and every, I'm not joking, in middle of the song, the head of the, of the concert, the person who hired me came in middle of the song and said, why aren't those people over there dancing, you know? You know, why, like in middle, like as if I'm going to talk in middle of my song, you know, <laughs> like every single song she came up before in middle, during, after she was just so, and then, and then she said, oh no, I was very happy with it. And I was like, wow, that was like the hardest concert I've ever done. And I, I really did not enjoy that. You know, <laughs> I don't blame you. That sounds awful. <laughs> it was awful. But I just disregarded it to kept the smile on my face and just did my thing because like, sorry, lady, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of singing. Okay. <laughs> and good for you standing your ground. Thanks for talking about that. It's nice to hear different approaches to performing. And I think I've adjusted my goals based on realizing what I like doing, what I don't like doing. And I want to talk about your music, your amazing music video. <laughs> <laughs> that you put out is that your first music video oh yeah so that was probably my most expensive music video that was my single that came out um before before the album before that I had sort of like a, a promo music video Mahabracha video after this Hana song I put out I Believe in Me with my album which is one of my hit songs composed by Hyla Newhouse and what do you pay for songs? Um, the going rate is around $1,500 to buy an original song. That's with the lyrics and without music. That's and like a professional high rate. And they don't have the rights to use the song anymore. So it has to be a song that was never used before. It could have been used before, like, you know, composed for a specific camp or composed for a, for a school that was used once. And then whatever you put in your contract that you, that you now own the, the rights of the song and they can't use it again, for sure. Yeah. Right. Wow. What's next for you? What's your next step? You're a business person, which I love about you. What's your vision? Where is this going to go? Because it doesn't seem like this is where it ends for you or that you have reached what, everything you've wanted <laughs> from you're, your you're, music. You're totally right. <laughs> I remember somebody asking me when I, when I reached – 2000 followers they're like you know how high do you want to go I'm like I don't know but I'm not stopping at 2000 followers my dream is that women singers can become as popular and get millions of hits on YouTube just like the men singers 
if there's room in the Jewish community for them to perform internationally in Israel, in Mexico, in Europe, and have so many hits on YouTube, then why can't we do it in the female world? You know, why can't we, why can't we accomplish that? Well, for number one, <laughs> we can't sing at public mixed events. That's not an option. Our exposure is so much more limited. Okay, but there's plenty of women and girls, Jewish girls in the world, all over in every Jewish community that want to hear girl music. There, there's so many, there's so many men singers, and I love their songs. But it's a certain type. It, it doesn't sound like my songs and your songs that connect to girls and high school girls and. Well, I have an idea. We could ban men's music from all Jewish girls' schools and camps, and then they'll have to use Jewish music from women, and the women will have to step up their game and produce a lot more content and get a lot more singers out there. And then once the women's music is as famous as the men's, you could bring it back in, but then it's a no-brainer. It's As long as the men's music exists... There, there's little to no room for new hits, I think. Even though there's no such thing as no room for new hits. I don't buy that. <laughs> Elaborate. I, I think there is room for girls. I mean, think about the songs that that you like to listen to, okay? When you when you put music on, right, what are are you going to listen to to the, the men's Jewish music? Is that something that you and your friends listen to? No, I listen to the radio. <laughs> so whatever they're feeding me, that's what I'm listening to, or Apple Music. All I know is Jewish establishments are always, or very often, are doing the excuse thing. You know, oh, there's a male principal, or there are male teachers, or there, you know, we can't play music on the loudspeakers because they're, you know, the rabbi, the, no, the, the cook girl. out there is going to hear no. it, so we can't play it. Every, every girl's camp plays girl songs, wh whether there's men working there. Even in Lakewood, all the girl schools that have men principals, they're all singing, they're all davening. You know, there's always Kol Isha, but it doesn't really apply to them, you know? Well, it's good to hear that, that they're not using the excuses as much as in my experience. I felt like you they do. What? But you know, you know how many times I was in camps and schools and, and they're blasting male music and I... I don't think I've ever heard girls' music blasted out loud. Maybe, maybe one camp. I hear that. No, I hear that. I hear that. It happens to be in this day and age, whoever's born into this day and age is very lucky if they're a girl and they're an artist because there's so much more opportunity and we are paving the way for so many people and creating an industry that really hasn't existed so much. I mean, even take Jewish plays like if somebody wanted to act and dance and sing on stage in, in a professional Jewish uh, platform, where do they have, you know? Now in Israel you have, I, I always name it wrong, but Zir Chemed, however you say that, those are really professional. You have, uh, in Brooklyn, you have Rachel's Place, which is like, you know, a step under Broadway shows. There's there, there's so, the, the standard of women's professional singing, dancing, acting, first of all, is appreciated. And um, there's definitely a market for it. You know, people people want their kids uh, as a standard overall, you know, not to listen to all the non-Jewish uh, music. Like you don't want your little girl 
growing up with all these messages and ev- why does every single song have to be dirty? Like what? <laughs> like what's going on with the radio? You know, you want to give your girls alternatives, and I, I feel like every Jewish home wants to do that. Every camp wants to do that. Well, obviously they're not playing the radio. I just mean they're playing the men's. A Jewish music and not the women's Jewish music. Anyway, we have to wrap up, but I just want to mention how, you know, on this podcast very often, especially with singers and vocalists, the conversation is less upbeat, less optimistic. It sounds like you've seen the world shift and you see positivity and change for the better. I just feel all this positivity coming out of you and I am sitting here with all my disagreements <laughs> I'm like no that's not what I see that's not how I feel so it's great to have your perspective and it's refreshing and it's important to have your voice and your perspective and to see what the world looks like from your stage so thanks for sharing that and being that bright light that's shining onto the Kalisha market you said that there's a market for it I'm still trying to find it <laughs> I hear, I hear that. It's definitely hard to find a market and it takes a lot of hard work, but you know what? It also takes adjusting. It also takes trial and error, seeing what people like and then adjusting to it. A hundred percent. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much, Dora, for coming on the show. I can't wait to hear what you come up with next. And if you have been enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe, share this podcast, make sure to go back and listen to the episodes from the beginning. We have some amazing Jewish female artists who have been featured on the show. And thank you for listening to The Francisca Show.